Awesome, you guys. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Hey, it is our last night of camp together. And uh, this is my daughter, Brinley, right here. Come on up here real quick, Brinley. Um, and uh, this little girl, this little girl right here, she is a walking miracle. This girl is amazing. And she tells so many people about Jesus. She is so incredible. And tomorrow is her 10th birthday. And so I was just hoping that we could just quickly sing her happy birthday. Would that be okay real quick? Okay. All right, here we go. Ready, set, go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Brinley. Happy birthday to you. Isn't that cool? You would jump off and get one back to mom over there. Woo, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. So, um, have you guys had a good weekend at camp? Has everyone had a good weekend? I got to tell you, it has been so much fun. It has been so um, inspiring to be with you these last couple days and in such a short amount of time like 48 hours, God has done some incredible work in our hearts and lives. I mean, so many of you stood up to receive Christ for the first time last night, or, or you recommitted your life to Jesus, or maybe you were bold enough to say, I still have some questions, but I'm not going to let those get in the way anymore. I'm going to try to get some answers. And, and some of you sense that God was calling you to something. And maybe some of you, you, you know exactly what it is that God has called you to do. And maybe for others, you're going, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm just willing to say yes. And I want to encourage those of you that maybe are going, I don't know exactly what I'm saying yes to, but I am saying yes to Jesus. He will be faithful. As you continue to prioritize your relationship with him, as you meet with counselors and youth pastors and mentors and leaders and begin to process, and if you have an open heart, God will do immeasurably more in and through your life than you could ever imagine. In fact, I have become absolutely convinced. I've been a follower of Jesus long enough that I've just seen this over and over again. God can do far more through a willing person than a talented person. That God can do far more through a person who says, I don't know what he wants me to do, but I'm willing to say yes. You know, this whole week, weekend, we've been talking about this holy God. And oh man, I just, I get all the feels when we're singing that song where we're going, holy, holy, holy. We're crying out to this perfect creator, God, who is infinite, who always existed, who chose to bring us into the world because he loves us and because he wants a relationship with us. And, and then the meaninglessness of sin took over our lives and our sin, our rebellion has created this chasm and this gap between us and God, but he surprised all of us by not turning his back on us, but instead running towards us, dying on a cross after living a perfect, sinless life. He was the only one qualified to take your sin and my sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven and we could be free. 
so that we might live with meaning. The kind of meaning we were always meant to live. Tonight, as we land the plane, my message is called How to Live a Meaningful Life in a World Convinced Life is Meaningless. How to Live a Meaningful Life in a World Convinced that Life is Meaningless. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Solomon, towards the end of his life, as he finishes these words in Ecclesiastes, after surveying everything and experiencing everything, including sin, he says, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Solomon says, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've been just about everywhere. And I've concluded, here's the purpose. Here's what gives life meaning. Fearing God, having a reverence for God, a right understanding of who he is, of who we are, what our sin has done to us, what he endured on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and in a forever relationship with him and to obey his commands. To help us unpack this more tonight, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy. And I want to invite you in your Bibles to flip over to 2 Timothy. It's towards the end of your Bible. And while you're flipping there, 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to a guy named Timothy. It's the second letter recorded in our Bible to Timothy. And and you see, Paul, he is is coaching Timothy. He is discipling Timothy. He, He is trying to help Timothy be the kind of leader that God has called him to be. And and I imagine there were times where Timothy felt unqualified, where Timothy didn't think he had what it took. Maybe, maybe in fact, some of you, you look at your small group leaders or your camp counselors or your youth pastors or or your parents or other Christians, and you're going, I I don't have what they have. I I don't have that gift. I don't think I could ever do or make the impact that they have made. And I bet there were times where Timothy even felt that way, and he probably felt unqualified. This last year, um, I had the opportunity to coach both of my kids. Uh, uh, three of my four kids were involved in basketball, and, and I had the opportunity to coach two of them, Charlie and Brinley's teams. Uh, uh, they were on two separate teams, and, and I wish I could tell you that, that I like signed up for this, that I was like really excited to be dad of the year and coach their basketball. But the truth is, I didn't want to coach their basketball. I just wanted to like cheer them on on the sidelines because I would feel, I feel like I was going to be a horrible basketball coach. But then I got an email from the organization and it was like, congratulations, you've been selected. AK, nobody else was willing to do it and we drew your name. So I became the coach for their basketball team. And I remember I was absolutely terrified. I didn't know how I was going to do this. And And so what I started to do is I started to look around at what the other coaches were doing and I would just kind of copy and paste that. Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel of coaching, instead of trying to imagine how how I could coach basketball in a brand new way that no one had ever done, I just looked around at what other coaches were doing and tried to do the same. 
We had, we had a really fun season on Brinley's team. Uh, one of the students, he had just moved here uh, from China, and he only spoke uh, Mandarin, and he, he, didn't, um, he didn't speak any English, and so it was really hard to coach him, and, but he was learning the English language, and about halfway through the season, in broken English, at the end of the games, uh, his name was Rubio. Rubio pulled me aside, and he said, he said something that, that nobody's ever said to me. He said to me something that literally, in the 37 years of my life, nobody has ever said to me. He, he looked at me and he said, in broken English, he said, Coach, your muscles are big. And I said, Rubio, my wife doesn't even tell me that. That's incredible. Are you serious? I mean, I was just so deeply touched. And, and we had this amazing season. And I got to be honest with you, I felt so unqualified the entire time. And yet I reluctantly was willing. And I think that's where Timothy's at. That he's willing. And so Paul coaches him. You know, 2 Timothy, it's, it's a really interesting letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul from prison. Paul was in a Roman prison between the years of 64 to 67 AD, and he was under a death sentence. And it was from that prison that he wrote these words, and these words are, they're full of life, even though he's in a prison preparing to die. You would think that would be the dark night of the soul. You, you would think that would be the moment that, that, that he would throw it all in, that he would wonder, that he would question, is God even real? And, and maybe some of you right now, as you're thinking about going home, you go, man, I wish I could be at camp all the time because home is so hard, it's so difficult, it's so painful. Here's Paul writing from prison under a death sentence. And yet his, his words are full of life for Timothy. First big idea tonight is if we're going to live a meaningful life in a world convinced that life is meaningless, we've got to choose the Holy Spirit over hype. We've got to choose the Holy Spirit over height, the third chapter of 2 Timothy begins this way, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Disobedient to their parents. It's in there, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. I wanna zero in on that last idea. Paul says, they will have a form of godliness, but denying its power. In 2023, the phrase that we might use is going through the motions. A camp high. And maybe this describes some of us. Maybe we love hype. We love big camps like this. We love youth group nights. We love those goosebumps that we get when worship songs are playing. But Paul says it is possible to have this form of godliness that maybe people would look at 
And see, it seems like they're doing all the right things, but they would actually be denying the Holy Spirit's power. See, see, for some of us, we're we're showing up to church. We're not cussing. We're we're not drinking too much. We're not hooking up with people. But your heart isn't in love with Jesus. You may be doing some of the right things, but, but you're not doing it for the right reason. In Revelation chapter two, which is the last book of the Bible, Jesus is speaking to several of these churches and and in one of them, he, he's kind of mad at this church. And maybe you don't always think about Jesus as being kind of mad, but he's kind of upset at one of these churches. And in Revelation chapter two, verses three and four, Jesus says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. They've had this form of godliness. In some ways, they've been doing the right thing. But then Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. See, they were doing the right stuff with the wrong heart. For some of you, you just need to hear this. Jesus misses you. Like, like he sees you going to youth group. He sees you going to your small group. He sees you not cussing. He, he, he sees some of those things that you're doing. He sees you going through the motions and maybe you've convinced yourself that following Jesus is just like every other religion. If you do X, Y, and Z, maybe God will love you and it's really just about this checklist. It, it's, it's impersonal. There's, there's no relationship and you're just kind of going through the motions. And, and I think Jesus wants to say to you, I, I miss you. Like, I miss that love that we had at first. You see, if we just settle for hype, for exciting, we'll miss out on the kind of intimacy that we can have, that closeness with the Holy Spirit. And I want to just draw, I'm just feeling led right now, I want to draw our attention To that one line in there, it's in verse two, verse three, verse four. Where is it? You guys, I have this reoccurring dream about once a month that I'm preaching a sermon and I can't find the verse. And that's actually happening right now. Okay. Um, Where does it say unforgiveness? Unforgiveness. Verse three, without love, unforgiveness forgiving. The reality is people will hurt you. People will say things to you, maybe even other Christians, maybe people that are meaningful to your life, people that you've trusted, they, they will hurt you. And one of Satan's traps is to make you and I the kind of people who are unwilling to forgive. And it's ironic for Christians because we have literally been forgiven of everything we've ever done, every single sin, every single thought, word, or action that's disobedient to God that goes against his word is a sin. It's an offense to God. We we become the enemies of God. We reject God, and, and yet he has completely forgiven us. And yet somebody says a lie about us. They gossip about us. They hurt our feelings and we're unwilling to forgive. And I'm not meaning to make light of the pain that we have experienced. 
But I think one of the reasons Paul points out that, that unforgiveness is inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus is because unforgiveness turns you into a certain kind of person. To help, to help me illustrate this, can I get Connor and Matt real quick, youth pastors? Connor and Matt, can you guys run up here real quick? Can you guys welcome Connor and Matt up here? All right, so Matt, can you hold that one? Connor, can you hold this one? Okay, and can you guys spread out a little bit? There we go. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So, um, all right, so you got, if you can step back there, I'm just thinking this through right now. All right, yeah, I'm gonna go like this. Your goal is to not let me fall, okay? So we don't wanna fall off the stage. Okay. Here's, here's the problem, and I, I, just, I, meet, I meet Christians like this all the time who are unwilling to forgive. And here's why it's so dangerous, because if you are unwilling to forgive, there's some friends, there's some dangerous buddies that come with unforgiveness and, and they go by the name bitterness and resentment and anger and cynicism. And for some of you, you've just become this kind of person who because you're not willing to forgive that person or that, that group for whatever they've done, you've become bitter, you've become resentful, you've become angry and, 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 and every time you try to move into a new relationship, you just can't help but bring bitterness and resentment with you. That, that every, every, every time you're talking with somebody, it's like you show up to school and, and people just know you as that, like, that, that angry person. You've got a chip on your shoulder and it's kind of become a part of your personality and, and people kind of walk on eggshells around you. They're like a little bit scared around you because you're really cynical, because you're really angry. And maybe you justify it. You say, well, you know, I'm just a bitter person. I'm just resentful. I'm just angry. I'm just cynical. But you've probably experienced how it's, it's like you, you can't take any steps forward. And this is just who you, it feels like this is who you are. Is it possible that unforgiveness, that, that unwillingness to forgive, is, is what's making you more resentful and more bitter and more angry and more cynical. And maybe deaf and blind to God's love for you. You know, when the Bible uses the word forgive in the original language, what it means is to let go. It means to send away. You see, as long as you're unwilling to forgive, you're going to take bitterness and anger and resentment and cynicism everywhere you go. But I wonder if some of you, God brought you up here at camp for this one moment to tell you it's time to begin the forgiveness process. It's time to let go and allow God to heal you and restore you and reconnect you to his love and forgiveness. Can you guys thank these youth pastors? Thank you guys. Big idea number two. 
we must become genuine disciples. If we're gonna live a meaningful life in a world that's convinced life is meaningless, we need to become a genuine disciple. Jump down to verse 10 in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And then this, this is kind of an uncomfortable verse. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, I love how honest the Bible is because God loves us. He's not gonna lie to us. Following Jesus will not always guarantee that people will love you or like you. It doesn't guarantee you money it doesn't guarantee you fame or success. It doesn't guarantee that you'll get into the high school or the eventual college that you wanna to go to. It doesn't guarantee you a spouse. It doesn't guarantee you children. It doesn't guarantee you an easy and comfortable life. In fact, comfort is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. Following Jesus is absolutely worth it. But it will guarantee you persecution. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And then look at verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That part, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, I think there's some of you here tonight who, like you've grown up your whole life in the church. You've grown up your whole life, maybe as a Christian and and you genuinely are trying to follow Jesus and you love him and you've received his forgiveness and you look at maybe some friends around you who, who have done some things, they've been a part of some things and, and there's a part of you that wonders, do I have a powerful testimony? Do I have a powerful story? Like, I wasn't like addicted to drugs and in a gang by the age of three, right? Like, do I still have a good story? Like, could God still use my life? And here's the thing, I've known lots of people who have made tons of mistakes and messed up their lives and God has redeemed it and they have these powerful stories. But, but is Paul talking to Timothy about knowing the scriptures from infancy that, that, that lead to the wisdom of salvation? I was thinking about some of you and I wanna remind you of this. A great testimony that God will use to transform the world is not about all the bad stuff you did before God was in your life. It's about all the God stuff that he has done in your life since you handed him the keys. Like that's what makes a great testimony. I mean, oh my goodness, that the missionary who stood up here this morning and preached, after he shared, I was just thinking, I am unworthy. 
He didn't once talk about any of the bad things he had done in his life. He was talking about the miraculous things that God was doing through him, an ordinary guy with an ordinary family who was willing to trust God, who was willing to follow him according to the scriptures and give his life over to Jesus. And his story is mind-blowing. It's because a great testimony is not about the bad stuff you did. It's about the God stuff that he has done in your heart and in your life. And you see Satan, Satan wants you to think, man, you got to do stupid stuff. You got you to try this. You got to experiment. You got to explore. You got to go do this, this. This is what middle school or high school is about. But if we go back to Solomon, Ecclesiastes, he did it all and said it was meaningless. And God would say, if you actually want wisdom, if you want to know what life is all about, study the scriptures. Know God's word. Which leads us to big idea number three. Stay connected to the God of the word by reading the word of God. Stay connected to the God of the word by reading the word of God. If we're not careful, sometimes we can even make an idol out of this. We can study all of the words and yet not allow God to, by the power of his Holy Spirit, use it to transform our lives. Paul says in the next verse, verse 16, all scripture is, all scripture is, all scripture is, now here's what's crazy. This word, God breathed, had never been used in the first century, at least written down up until this point. Paul, he like made up a word. He smashed together two Greek words, theo and pneuma, which means God, and breath into theonoustos, which means God breathed. Paul says you need to understand there's something very different about this book. These 66 books written over a 1,400-year time period by over 40 different authors on three different continents, they all tell one unified story that has been preserved all throughout history in miraculous ways. This story, these words are God-breathed, God-inspired. You see, you, you have to make a decision. Do you believe this is someone inspired, just some interesting ideas from some interesting people, or is it God inspired? Because the point of the Bible is to have an encounter with God who transforms our lives. That's why I say you need to stay connected to the God of the word by reading the word of God. And, and people who have studied this, they, they have all this data about the ways that being in the Bible, engaging in the Bible transforms your life. In fact, in 2021, there was this study done where they polled over 40,000 people between the ages of eight and 80. 
And they wanted to see how engaging with the Bible through reading it and listening to it transformed people's lives. And what was crazy is they discovered that when people read the Bible one or three times or listened to the Bible one or three times a week, it didn't have as much of an impact on their lives. But as soon as they started engaging with the Bible four or more times a week, the data was insane. We may have some of them up here on the screen. Here's what they found when they surveyed people who engaged with the Bible four or more times per week. Loneliness drops by 30%. Anger drops by 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops by 40%. Alcoholism drops by 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops by 60%. Viewing pornography drops by 61%. Sharing your faith increases by 200%. And discipling another person increases by 230%. Essentially what they discovered is the more that people took seriously that this is God's breathed message for us where we can come in contact with him, we can encounter him through his word, it begins by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. And you know, I, I talk to people all the time who are like, man, I, I'd believe in God if he would just speak to me. Or maybe I'll even talk to Christians who go, I just wish God would speak to me. I just want to know him. I, I just wish he would speak to me. And I, I can't help myself, but sometimes I just go, bro, he wrote you a book. And, and oh, okay, I'm just going to go there. Ladies. There's some of you who, who you get a text from a boy, a DM from a boy, and it's three sentences, and every single word is misspelled, and he writes like a first grader, <laughs> and, and you read it, and you read it over and over again, and you show your friends, and you're like, oh my goodness, I think what he meant to say was this, and you're like trying to make sense of it. And you get so excited about these messages from these other people in your life. And God wrote you a book with 66 books within it. And there's no spelling mistakes. <laughs> he wrote it perfectly for you. Because he loves you. Did you hear that, Brindley and Lila? No talking with boys that can't spell, okay? I'm just saying. You see, the Bible, the Bible is God's inspired, the Bible is God's inspired, authoritative revelation of who he is, who we are, and how we can be saved and live for him. You know, last night we talked about this idea that we're like, we're saved from our sin from Satan, from death. But we're not just saved from something, we're saved for something. You've been saved for eternal life with God. You've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved for a relationship with God and he wants you to know him and he wants you to know who you are. Um, in October of last year, I had the opportunity to go to India to visit some ministry partners that our church is connected with. And 
one of the women that I got to meet there, her name is Baharnia. And this woman, she grew up Hindu, worshiping Hindu gods. There's like hundreds of millions of Hindu gods, and she grew up worshiping these Hindu gods. And one of the things that her gods, her false gods, required her to do was to burn her hand. It was a form of self-mutilation. Which one of the things you need to know is in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God never commands his people to hurt themselves. In fact, so many pagan religions and even still some today require you to hurt yourself. God never wants you to hurt yourself. God never commands that. He's the God of life, not a God of death. But this woman... She got to a point when she was a Hindu where she was so depressed. She was in so much debt that she was thinking about taking her life. And then she said a friend of hers, a Christian friend of hers gave her a Bible. And she started to read the Bible and and she said after reading the Bible one day, she gave her life to Christ. She began following him, and and it was an amazing story. And this woman, this woman has become a church planner. She started churches. She started literacy programs to help women and children who aren't educated to know how to read their own language. She's teaching them the Bible. She's reaching all of these kids and these families in, in Chennai, India. It's absolutely amazing. And I asked her, I said, what was the Bible verse that changed your life? Was it John 3.16? What is it? Was it Ephesians 2, 4, and 5? Was it Romans 10.9? What was it? And she, she mentioned this obscure passage in Deuteronomy 28, where essentially God communicates, hey, I have all the resources in the world. And she realized that she was in debt. She was at the end of her rope and there was nothing more she could do except rely on the one true God. And then our last big idea. If we're gonna live a meaningful life in a world convinced that life is meaningless, we must serve God wholeheartedly and you will live a meaningful life. Life. Verse 17. Well, let's finish 16. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't know how your Bible translates it, but servant of God in the original Greek language, which is what it was written in, the Greek word is anthropos, which means human. It means man or woman. The person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible keeps us anchored to God and his truth in a world that denies his existence and denies the existence of truth. Keeping ourselves anchored to God's word and in a relationship with Jesus keeps us living on mission. 
And if you are willing to serve God wholeheartedly and stay connected to him and prioritize your relationship with him and staying in community with other Christians, he is going to do things through your life that you never imagined possible. There's a story of Lee Strobel who He wrote the book, The Case for Christ, but what you may not know about Lee Strobel is before he was a Christian, he was an atheist, and he was so sick and tired of Christians that he set out to disprove Christianity. So he studied history and science and anthropology and sociology and religion with the focus of disproving Christianity, and by the end of it, he was convinced that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead and could be trusted. So he became a Christian. And one day, one day after Lee Strobel had become a Christian, it was the week before Easter, and and as he was leaving the office, he was a journalist in Chicago working at a newspaper, and as he was leaving the office, he felt the Holy Spirit tell him to go into his boss's office, who was an atheist, a very pronounced, emphatic atheist, and invite him to Easter. Well, Lee Strobel, he was reluctant about this, but felt like this is what God was calling him to do. And he didn't have all the answers, but he he was willing. And so he walked into his boss's office and his boss had this huge office with this giant desk and his boss was sitting behind the desk and and Lee said, hey, um, you know, Easter's coming up this Sunday and I wanted to invite you to come to church with me and to sit with me and my family. And his boss said, you're crazy. That's a ridiculous idea. I'll never come to Easter with you. I don't believe in Jesus and And Lee Strobel continued, he said, well, I believe Jesus Christ lived, died on the cross and rose from the dead and there's good evidence for it. And the only way to be forgiven and and in right relationship with God and live a meaningful life is, is to confess your sins and to give him your life. And his boss said, you're crazy. I I don't believe that. I don't know why you're telling me all this. And and finally, Lee Strobel said, well, here's the church that I'll be at. And here's the times of the services we'd love to invite you. And, And his boss said, I will never go. Lee Strobel left and that Easter came and went and the boss didn't show. Several years went on and Lee Strobel saw no change in his boss's life and He wondered to himself, why did God have me do that? I I made a fool of myself and I don't see any fruit from it. I don't see how God worked. And then one Sunday, Lee Strobel was preaching at a church and this man came up to him at the end of the service and said, sir, Lee, I need to tell you, God used you to change my life. And he said, how? And he said, Do you remember that day that you walked into your boss's office and you shared the gospel with him and you invited him to Easter? And Lee Strobel said, yeah, I remember that, but how do you remember that? We we were the only two in there. And he said, oh, you couldn't see me, but behind that really big desk, I was working on the tiling floor. You you couldn't see me, but, but when you were talking about Jesus, I felt something, I... I was interested in it. Then when you talked about Easter and the service times, I I couldn't help but feel like I was supposed to go. And so I went home and I I told my wife and my kids and we showed up to church that Easter and, and our whole family, we gave our lives to Christ. You see, you never know how God might want to use your willingness and your faithfulness in his grand story. 
There's a story of D.L. Moody, this famous, uh, gosh, what was he, a 20th century preacher in America. And um, for all of his adult life, he carried around in his pocket a piece of paper with a hundred names on it of people who didn't know Jesus Christ. They were friends of his. And every single day, D.L. Moody would pray for those people by name, all 100 of them. By the time D.L. Moody died, 96 of those 100 people had given their lives to Christ. But the remaining four, the remaining four had not. At his funeral, Many people showed up, including those four, and at the end of the gospel invitation, those four people gave their lives to Christ. I remember my wife Sarah and I, I'll end with this. I remember my wife Sarah and I, we uh, flew to Mexico. We got invited to officiate a wedding in Mexico in Puerto Vallarta. Um, at this, like, uh, you know, all-inclusive resort. It's one of those things you don't even have to pray about. You just say yes, you know what I mean? And so I, uh, I got there, and, you know, we got there and had a great time. And as, as we were flying home, we were on kind of this three-hour flight home, and, and I was sitting in the middle seat, and my wife Sarah was sitting by the window, and then there was a gentleman sitting next to me in the aisle, and I... Uh, I was listening to some worship music and I was praying and, and then I just felt like God said to me, Eric, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell him that I love him. And I wish as a pastor, as a Christian, I could tell you that I was like, you got it, God, I'm your guy, here I go. But I literally was like, no, Lord, please, no. This is weird. We're on an airplane. We had masks on. We're going to have to be yelling at each other. And if it's awkward, it's not like I can move seats. Like we're stuck here. And I'm like bartering with God. And then finally I was like, okay, God, like I'll do it. If you really want me to do it, I'll do it. But, but if you really want me to, to tell him that you love him, make him put his phone down. Because for two hours, for those two hours, he, was, he had his phone on. He was playing video games. He was dialed in. So I said, God, I had my eyes closed. I said, okay, God, if you really want me to tell him that you love him, make him put his phone down. And, and I was like, three, two, one. And I opened my eyes. And guess what? No, he was still playing with his phone. <laughs> and and I, again, I'm just confessing to you guys. I was like, awesome, right? Like, I don't have to be weird. Like, this is going to be great. And so I thought I was off the hook. And, and I remember just at that moment, I was looking over to Sarah. She was working on something. I was, I was looking over there to help her. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw him put down his phone. And, and I, I looked over at him and I said, hi, sir. My name's Eric. And he said, hi, I'm Jose. And and I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And I was just praying. And I, I, I feel like God was telling me that he wanted me to tell you that, that he loves you. And the guy starts like crying. And then, and I, guys, I know it sounds cool. It's, it wasn't cool. He starts crying and, and, and he starts talking really loud, like awkwardly loud. And he, he starts talking loud and he goes, 
Thank you so much for telling me this. He goes, he, he said, there have been about five moments in my life where I was at the end of my rope, where I was thinking about giving up, where I was unsure if God loved me. And at each of those moments, God has shown me that he loves me. And I'm in one of those moments right now. And I needed to be reminded. And I oftentimes think to myself, how many of those moments have I missed? Oh, it terrifies me. If Christianity, if the way you're doing Christianity is boring, it's not because Christianity is boring, it's because the way you're doing it is boring. Christianity, following Christ, being obedient to him, trusting him is better than anything the world could ever offer you. Just ask Solomon. But if you choose, as you go back down into your context, to fear God and to obey his commands and to say, God, I'm going to school today and it used to be all about me, but Today's all about you. And you say, God, I've been so mean to my mom and dad. I've been so mean to my youth pastors. I've been so mean to my small group leaders. I've been so mean and so angry with everyone around me. But today, I'm going to choose to forgive. Today, I'm going to choose to show love. Today, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to share with somebody what Jesus did in my life at camp. Oh, you will live the meaningful life inspired by the God who brings meaning to life. And in a world that's convinced life is meaningless, they will take notice. And God will get the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the time that we've been able to be together to open your word, to spend the week exploring Ecclesiastes. And man, it's just been so clear that sin and the stuff that we get so hooked on and addicted to and that we're so consumed by, it's, it's meaningless, utterly meaningless. But that a life totally surrendered to you, totally trusting you, is what you designed us for. And so help us now as we go down the mountain, as we go back into our context, into our places, into our homes, into our friendships, to be the kind of people who live our lives inspired by the Holy Spirit, full of meaning, so that we can show the world, convinced that it's meaningless, that there is a God who loves them and that he's waiting for them. Jesus, I thank you. Would you do immeasurably more in each one of these students' lives than we could ask or imagine as we willingly hand our lives back over to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.